1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If you have it, I want you to read along with me. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. We're going to stop right there. It continues on, and we're going to pick up on that part next week. But let's just pray one more time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this passage and that you would illuminate it to our hearts tonight. Let it become real. Let it become raw. Let it become relevant in the ears of our hearing tonight. But Lord, I pray don't let us hear with our physical ears. I pray that you would let us hear with our spiritual ears. As John said in the book of Revelation, he that has ears to hear, let us hear what the Spirit is saying. And so, Lord, we thank you for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, we in a much different setting than we were uh, last Wednesday night. Now, I don't know about you, about this time last Wednesday night, I was snuggled up in my house watching the live stream, probably the same time you were. It was recorded earlier in the day. Um, so I was going to start this last week, but I really felt like I should push it to where all of us could start this together in person. So I really did appreciate uh, being able to share my heart and a few things last week as I was able to do that. But um, tonight, I want to start this series that I've called The Love Factor. Um, the Love Factor. I think it's vitally, vitally important. You know, February is a month, when you think about it, you know, you say November, you know what people think about holiday-wise. You say October, you know what the world thinks about. They think about Halloween. When you say December, people think about Christmas. And when you say February, holiday-wise, what does the world think of? They think of Valentine's Day. And, you know, Valentine's Day uh, is not a Christian holiday at all, but I like to use it to capitalize and teach on what the Bible teaches about love. You know, there's a lot of things about love uh, when it comes to even relationships that we get from the world that are toxic ideas. Uh, for instance, there are a lot of people who are messed up in their life um, because they feel like I'm not complete lest I have a man. I'm not complete lest I have a woman. And uh, they, they have this emotional hang-up. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, this is my other half? Have you ever heard that before? Let me, I, I love to study where phrases come from. And if you've never studied this, you're never going to look at it the same. But the, the terminology, this is my other half, actually comes from Greek mythology. And uh, Zeus was a Greek god in Greek mythology. And the story goes is that there was a male-female who were adjoined to the hip, they were, um, you know, uh, basically one person that, you know, made up the male and female person. And they did something to go against Zeus, according to tradition. And so Zeus cursed them, splitting them in half. And he banished one of them to the other ends of the earth to follow and roam around aimlessly till they found their other half. The problem is, that's not Bible, the Bible says when God created Adam, he was complete in himself, made in the image of God. God did not create Eve because Adam wasn't complete. God created Eve so that Adam could have some help. Amen? And your relationships will go further in life if you realize, you know, now when you're married, obviously the two become one flesh, but you're still two individual people. But here's the thing. God wants us to be whole. 
Why did I say that? I said that because when we go to talking about love from a biblical concept, a lot of times we begin to wrap our mind around some of these earthly things. For instance, the passage that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a passage that is all too familiar, even with people who are what you would call nominal Christians. They call it the love chapter, and rightly so, for the chapter is about love. It is the, one of the most known chapters in the Bible. It's beautiful when you read it. It's been used at weddings. It's been embossed on Hallmark cards. It's, the scripture reference has been engraved on the back of wedding rings. And all of those things are great, and while they're great applications, I hate to break it down to you when it comes to romance This passage is slightly out of context because it's not the type of love that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. Now, when you go to looking at the Bible, right? Everybody say the Bible. The Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, Koine Greek, and uh, some parts of it were in Latin. And and, and even some uh, manuscripts and parts are in Aramaic depend on what manuscript or scroll you're looking at. And so the writers did their best to translate these passages. Now I want you to think about something. The Hebrew and the Greek language are especially complex because when you start talking about love in the Bible, you can start thinking about a bunch of different things. Now in the English language, how many of you English is your first language? Right? Okay. Most everybody. So think about this because we have a lot of Hispanics in our, in our community, so it may not be their first language. So when you start thinking about, um, you start thinking about the, the English language, the definition or the value of a word is determined by, a lot of times by its context in a sentence or in a statement. For instance, when you start talking about something is cool, okay, the definition of cool How do you determine the definition of cool? Well, you have to determine it based on its usage in a sentence. Well, you know, if you grew up in the 70s, the people might, you know, the hippies, they might have said, that's cool, man, right? Well, that means something different than it really is cool in this room. The words are the same, but the meanings are different. And vice versa, you can go on and on and on through the list and learn how words, the same word means something different. But when you go to researching and reading and studying the Bible, it is not that way. Because just in the New Testament, there are several words for love. So when you're reading the English Bible and they get to these words that mean love, they translate it in English, love. But if you really want to get down to brass tacks, you've got to do a little study, do a little research. And by the way, you don't have to be a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, which none of those I am. You just need to be able to get on the internet, use a Bible app, or get an old school hardback bound copy of a Strong's Concordance and look up the words and they'll tell you what they mean. And anybody can do this. It's so cool. And so when you look at love in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, it's different. Here's why. There are three types of love that we see referenced in the Scripture. There were more in culture, but these are the three that were referenced in the Scripture. Here you go. The first one is called phileo love. It is phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. It's a Greek word. And phileo means brotherly love. It's, it's the type of love 
that you would give to a brother, a sister, a church member, somebody like that. It is a brotherly, compassionate, family type of love. And so there are places in the scripture where, where he says, um, you know, the word love, and it's translated in the original language, phileo. Then there's a second word that's used for love in the Bible, and it's euros, E-R-O-S, euros. Since we're all adults in here, it's where we get the Latin word erotic. It is a sensual, sexual, husband-wife type of love. You know the old Percy Sledge song, When a Man Loves a Woman? Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are too sanctified. I'm telling you, you need to get back in love again, y'all. I'm, I'm telling you. I could teach a marriage seminar right now. You really need to read the Song of Solomon. I'm just telling you right now. Euros love. It's, 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 it's an, an appropriate type of love within a context of a godly married relationship. Then the third type of love is agape love. It's the God kind of love. In fact, the word agape, when you look at it in the Strong's Concordance, it says it's the unconditional God kind of love. And it also says it's a benevolent kind of love. What does it mean to be benevolent? When you, when you give of yourself, when you give to help, when you extend, when sometimes maybe there's no extension back. You are reaching into, and it's the kind of love that God has for us. When the Bible says that for God so loved the world, the word there is agape. Uh, when the Bible talks about in Romans, if you've ever, ever studied the Roman road of salvation, the Bible talks about uh, even while we were yet sinners, he loved us. It's the word agape. It means the type of love that looks past your faults, past your failures, and loves you unconditionally. It's the same type of love where the scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. So, tonight, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, uh, it is talking about agape love. Now, how do we know what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, let me tell you, you do not need um, Dr. Phil. You do not need, if you're, if you're a 90s person, you don't need Sally Jesse Raphael. You don't need uh, even Jerry Springer. Uh, you, if you want talk show material, start at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And what you're going to find is some messed up people in the church. They are having serious kinds of problems. Serious. On the outside, they're the rafter swinging, aisle running type of people. You'd call them the wild charismatic bunch. They've got the tongues, the gifts, the prophecy, all of that stuff. And people would say, man, they are so spiritual. Look at them. And Paul, right out the bat, says, I've got some things I'd like to share with you, but uh, you're, you're, you're too carnal. And he said, I want to give you meat, but I have to part your whiskers and put the bottle right in. Because you cannot handle the mature things of God. And Paul begins to talk to them about sectarianism, which is just a fancy word for in, in the church at Corinth. They were so divided. It's like people who follow preachers. Well, I like Jimmy Swagger. Well, I like this person. And I like this person. Then there's a real deep person who can't take correction from anybody. They say, well, I follow Jesus. And I don't tell them, you don't tell me nothing. You don't believe me? It's in the Bible. It's in there. Some say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Christ. And Paul said, I thank God I didn't baptize anybody because I don't want you starting a cult after me. We all follow Jesus. 
And then Paul begins to outline to the church at Corinth why some of the chaos is coming. They are in sexual deviancy. They are, you know, you, you know Jesus, when he turned the water into wine, right? And, and, you know, they use wine in Middle Eastern cultures and still do today. Um, at the Passover supper and things of that nature, they would dilute it down. They were not supposed to be getting intoxicated off of wine. as The scripture says not to be drunk off of wine. But they were just being barbaric and they were pushing each other out of the line to get their meal first and and they were getting drunk and they were getting you know gluttonous and Paul told them you got tables at home to eat at this is not a buffet Uh, we're supposed to be worshiping God and coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ and and they were doing all kind of crazy stuff and you know it's it's the one passage that cessationists love cessationists it is a fancy word this church is not a cessationist church Cessationism is a theological word, which means that people, and there are groups of Christians who believe this, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, that they're not to be anymore, that, that after the last apostle died, there are no more tongues, no more interpretation, no more healing, none of that. There's whole groups of people. You know some. You just may not know what they're called. Um, Then there are continuationists, people who believe the gifts have continued, and that's us. We believe that. Scripture teaches it. Church history records it, that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today. And and so uh, cessationists love this passage because Paul comes in pretty hardcore in dealing with some of the chaos and some of the excess because it's in the uh, previous chapters of 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul says things like this. He said, um, if there be anyone who speak in, give a speaking tongue or give a message in tongue, he said, let it be no more than two or at the most three and let it be interpreted. If there's no interpreter, let them be silent in the church. Then Paul talks about uh, prophets and he said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And uh, you know what Paul was saying there in Corinth, they were so wildly uncontrolled charismatic that um, this one would say I've got a word and they would pop up and say what they had to say and then uh, somebody else would have to outshine them with a better word and they'd get up and Paul would say the spirit of a prophet is subject to a prophet in other words don't tell me I can't control myself pastor I had to do it no self-control is the fruit of the spirit And Paul said, you need to do it in order. He didn't say stop doing it. He said, let all things be done in decency and in order. And and Paul begins to lay out all of these things about tongues and prophecy and charity and love. And he's driving the point home. And I love where he gets to right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Because tonight, I want to talk to you about the importance of love. Everybody say, the importance of love. The importance of love. Why is love important in our walk with God? Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 with me, and let's look at these together. You ready? Verse number 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, though I have not love, it profits me nothing. Uh, the very first thing we'll talk about tonight as we get into this, number one, title of my message would be the first uh, point tonight, is the importance of love. 
the importance of love. You know, we are the body of Christ. Amen? We've been studying about that. We've been talking about that. Uh, Not all are the hand, not all are the foot, not all are the head. There are different aspects of the body. There are different systems in the body. I read a quote this week, and it was anonymous. I could not find the authorship of this quote, but here's what it said. It said, it has been said that love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. Love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. Paul said it like this to the church at Galatia. He said, faith works by love. Love is a foundational aspect in the body of Christ. Here's the thing. Ministry... And I want you to understand when we talk about ministry, it's not always just what happens up here, right? Ministry is when you're giving an ear to a brother and sister in Christ when they need somebody to to lean on and cry on. Ministry is when you feed the hungry in the name of the Lord. Ministry is when you do unto the least of these and you give a cup of cold water in my name, then you've received your reward. That's ministry. Ministry is about, you ready for this, putting others before yourself. Ministry is about putting others before ourself. You know, when we put uh, others before ourselves, what happens is, is a lot of things happen, but what happens is, number one, it gets our focus off of ourselves, gets our focus off of our problems, gives our focus off of the things that are wrong in our lives, and it helps us to focus on meeting the needs of other people. People say, Pastor, I don't have a place. Here's what one of my former pastors told me. If you want to know how to get involved in ministry, he said, see a need and fill it, see a hurt and heal it. See a need, fill it. See a hurt, heal it. Think about it. All the things that are around us in the world in which we live, there are so many opportunities to make an impact inside and outside of the four walls of the church. But as a part of the body of Christ, we are a part of that body, whether we're here or whether we're there. But ministry is simply about putting others before yourself. You know, selflessness versus selfishness selfishness is a great study if you look at it in the scripture selflessness means we die to ourselves we die to our wants we die to our desires we put Christ first others first ourselves at the very end of the line and we don't exalt ourselves but whenever we have selfishness and it's all about us and it's all about us being elevated, the scripture says what happens? We set ourselves up for a place of failure. The importance of love is that love is the most important thing. I wanted to say that as the foundation tonight. Love is the most important thing. When you look down the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, Paul says these words. He says, now abideth faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Why? Love is the glue that holds it all together. It's important. I want to I continue on there because I want to spend some time in some other places. Look here with me. Uh, notice what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, I become a sounding br- brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, knowledge, faith, 
He talks about um, if I bestow my goods, like if you're feeding the poor, you're, you have a feeding program, you're helping orphans, all those things. He talks about though I give my body to be burned. That would mean giving up yourself for a righteous cause, maybe for martyrdom or something like that. He, he goes on to talk about, you know, all of these things should be founded in love. So number two, I want to talk to you about the motivation of love. The motivation of love, okay? Selflessness desires to put other people first. Selfishness is what it says. Selfishness, desire to put oneself in the spotlight. So I want you to think about this. The motivation of love is important in every single thing that we do. I want to tell you, if you're going to be used by God, if you're going to get involved with ministry, you're going to get involved with helping somebody, you must ask yourself this foundational question. You ready? It's very simple. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to be seen? Am I doing this to exalt myself? And here's a better question. Think about this. You need to ask yourself this question. Am I okay doing this if nobody ever sees it? Am I okay with doing this if nobody ever sees it? I want to let you in on a little secret. We live in the most selfish culture. I'm not going to say generation because this transcends generations. It's a culture. We live in one of the most selfish cultures that has ever been in existence. Why? Why do you say that, Pastor? We live in the selfie generation. We live in the generation of Facebook and, and Snapchat and, and Instagram and Twitter and, and, and people cannot go and people cannot do in today's culture. And I, I even guard myself in these areas. I try my best and I have people to, to, to yank me back if, I, if I'm self-promoting too much. But we live in a culture where it's all about us and how we look and how we're perceived and what we've done and hurrah, hurrah. The question is, my friend, are, is what we're doing motivated by love? It sure is quiet tonight. Is what we're doing motivated by love? Because when you have the right motivation... It matters. Now let's go a little bit further. You ready? I told you these three little simple verses have a huge punch. All right. Paul talks about tongues. talks about knowledge, prophecy, faith to move a mountain. He talks about giving to the poor and giving up your body to be burned. He said, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Here's the third thing I want to talk about tonight, the absence of love. We've looked at the importance of love, the motivation of love, and we can spend some time here tonight on the absence of love. Now, here's why I want to break down each one of these things. Notice this. Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I do not have love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. All right, let's stop right here because we're about to get into some, some, some shark-infested waters. Okay? Now, I've got a secret for you, okay? I'm sure you've heard this before, but for some people it'll be new territory. We see people speaking in tongues. We see people laying hands on folks and they're falling out. And I believe in that. I've done it. We see people prophesying and all these things. But here's the thing. The Bible never says that's the apex of spirituality, you will not find 
a more spiritually immature church than you would at Corinth. They had the outward, but the external was all messed up. See, here's the thing. In politics, and you have heard me teach this, in politics we like to get on sides, right? I'm on the left. We're on the right. A dove has two wings, the fruit and the gifts, and you got to have both. So get this. Paul said, he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I don't have agape love, he said, then I am nothing. Notice this. He said, I am but a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Here's what Paul is trying to say right here. Without love, tongues is just noisy. It's just noisy. Nobody's trying to hear that. Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, as honest and honest can be. Some of the meanest people I've ever met speak in tongues. Serious. Say, Pastor, really? Yeah, but here's the thing. I'm glad that the, uh, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit coming on a person comes on us because we're saved, not because we're perfect. Right? I taught that Sunday. It's a gift, you know. Uh, he gives it to us, and he, it, the Holy Spirit, his ministry helps us to live a more sanctified life. But Paul wouldn't have said this if it wasn't a problem. You know why? Because in, in Corinth, they were given these messages in tongues, and there was no time for preaching. There was no time for work. Go read it. It's in there. He starts talking about order. He said two or three, or else he said shut it down. Why? Because the moment that you're up in front of everybody, and it's like, whoo, sister so-and-so, man, she had another tongue today. Did you hear that tongue today? Did you hear that interpretation today? The moment it becomes about the gift and the person and not about Jesus and not about ministering to people, You've fallen out of love. Love has to be the motivation. You know, uh, there are people that we try to minister to. We talked about this Sunday in our small groups, and if you've not gotten in a growth group, you need to. The last question that we had in our small group questions was this. Why do you think some people are apprehensive to the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And the answer that we got from a lot of people was this. Number one is that people uh, do crazy things in the name of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, here's the thing. If you're mean, you're not being heard. How you talk to matters. How you treat people matters. All of those things matter. Somebody say they matter. They matter. Now let's look a little different. Let's go through here. He goes on. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand mysteries and knowledge. He said, and even though I have faith, praise God, I speak to the mountain and it be removed. He said, but if you don't have love, it don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean anything. He said, he said, if I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor. You know, charity is so great. Soup kitchens, feeding, feeding programs, clothing programs, all of those things. But if you're not doing it for the right reason, what does he say? It profits you nothing. He said, though I give my body to be bestowed, to be burned for the poor. He said, if I don't have love, or not for the poor, but if I give my body to be burned, he said, I don't have love. It profits me nothing. So I want you to think about this. Without love, it's no- noisy. Without love, it's just a show. Without love, there's no reward. And here's what I want you to get, okay? Here's what I want you to get. In God's kingdom, so many times we become enamored with what we can see what we can hear, what we can experience with our five senses, right? 
our, our sight, our touch, our smell, our taste, all that stuff. We get enamored with it. But here's the thing. God says, when we begin to look at these things, he says love is the motivating factor. And so here's the thing. When it comes to God's kingdom, are you ready for this? It's not just what you do that matters, but why you do it. I'll clap myself for that one. It's not just what you do that matters, but why you do it that matters. I want you to notice that Scripture is very, very plain about these things. Jesus addresses it with the Pharisees. Do you remember the passage of Scripture um, in the Gospel of Luke? I believe or it may be Mark. This is not in my notes. I'm just kind of going off my, my memory. But Jesus is talking to them, and he said, um, he said, when you, uh, when you pray, he said, don't be like the hypocrites who go out on the street corners who think they'll be heard by their many words. He said, but rather go in secret and pray in your closet where your father hears you and he who sees you in secret will reward you in open. He does the same thing about giving. He says, when you give, he says, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I see that all the time. People have to post or talk about what they gave away or what they did or whatever. You know, he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. He said, because what you do in secret, God will reward you openly. Then he talks about fasting. He says, same thing. He says, are you fasting to look spiritual or are you fasting for change? And if you realize that what we do in the kingdom of God matters based on what we do and why we do it. See, we think we're going to get to heaven and God's just going to reward us for all the things we've done. That's not altogether true. We are going to be rewarded for the things that we've done in our body at the judgment seat of Christ. Scripture talks about that, but also he's going to judge our motives and our intents and our purposes. And those types of things. And so we might get to heaven and God's like, you know, we're, 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 we're talking to the Lord. And maybe it's not really going to be like this. This is how I think about it. You know, God's talking to us about our stuff. And we're like, Lord, ah, you know, <laughs> you know, God, that I gave $20,000, a $20,000 check to a missionary. God, you know I did it. Nobody else in the church had $20,000 to write a check. And God says, yeah, but you did it for a tax write-off. Come on, am I talking real language? I mean, that's the difference between what you do and why you do it. So the motivation of our heart matters. And so when God begins to talk to us about love in this chapter, he begins to really break it down and say, listen, if you want to get all of the chaos in Corinth right, all of the, the, the mismotivation, if you get all of the yin yang, all of the infighting that Corinth was dealing with, Paul is breaking it down towards the end of book number one of the, of the letter to the church of Corinth. And he says, you've got to get the foundation of love. The love factor is what causes the church and the body of Christ to run smooth. Amen? So it's important. Everybody say, love is important. So I want you to walk away with this thought tonight, and I'm done. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? You know, I think about some missionary friends that I have that are full-time on the field. And, and I've, I've, I know a couple of guys who are doing work in Nepal and the Philippines and the deep, 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 deep countryside where there is no established church. 
and they're planting churches and they're seeing people healed and saved and, and miracles and, and all of these kind of stuff. And, and they live in a place where it can't be posted about. You know, there are some people who are serving God in places that you can't really just talk about it out in the open. Like Cuba or China or the Philippines and, and some Muslim hostile places. You know, China is technologically uh, more advanced than we are, but their government has their ISPs, their internet service providers, and everything's so messed up. Christian stuff can't even hardly get through on the internet. You Google it, and it's like, it, the Jesus who? It's that bad. And we have people who are serving God and not getting the outward reward for it. I wonder what their entrance into heaven is going to be like. I wonder all the times, you know, they, they couldn't post about what they were doing or they couldn't send an email back to their family or some things like that. And I wonder about those type of people, you know, and I have to ask ourselves the question, if we were in the same situation, would we do what they do? Would we do what we do if nobody would ever know? Final thought, close your Bible, I'm done. Your reputation is what people know you as. Your character is who you are when nobody's looking. Come on, somebody. Your reputation is what people say about you. Your character is who you are. You understand that? And God sees past our reputation. He sees our character. When we stand before God, you may stand before God a pauper compared to the billionaires of this world. But you get up there and, and you, you're thinking you're just barely going to get in because all you, all you did was, was give a dollar or two to a missionary. But the Lord says, yeah, but, but at the time you gave it, it was all you had. That was a million dollar offering for you because you didn't have anything else. You did it out of a motivation of love. And you didn't care who saw it. You didn't care who got the credit for it. You just had a determination to do something. And folks, when we have the ability and the heart to bless with the God kind of love, I'm telling you, it is unlimitless what can happen in the body of Christ. Amen.